it's so good to see you guys all this morning, and it's so good to be together. If you haven't already, take a Bible and turn over to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you're our guest, we have been working through the book of Exodus for about the last um, four months, and we'll be returning to that here in a couple weeks, but, but we're kind of taking a few weeks um, uh, away from Exodus, and we'll be coming back to Exodus soon. Um, you know, Austin and I were talking earlier this week, and we joked, you know, no one likes the, the New Year's resolutions for Jesus kind of sermon, because that's kind of cheesy, um, but that's kind of what I'm about to do anyway, and I hope you'll bear with me. Um, as I was praying and thinking over the last couple weeks, just asking the Lord questions like, what do you want of me? What do you want of our church? What do you want for us? Um, I kind of kept coming back to this passage, and particularly that phrase in verse 7, train yourselves for godliness. And it just struck me that we can make life so much more difficult than it has to be. And we can make our faith so much more difficult than it has to be. What does God want from us? Many of you just panicked. That's an anxiety-inducing question. What does God want from us? Others of you were like, oh, well, I know all the answers. What this passage invites us to is a path. It invites us into a trajectory. What does the Lord want from his people? He wants his people to pursue a life that honors him in all things. He wants his people to love him and to love his word and to follow him and to serve him and to sacrifice for him. And there's a nice summary phrase for that in the scripture. It's called godliness. What does God want from us? He wants us to pursue godliness. So in this season of new beginnings and new commitments and new desires and new subscriptions and new task management softwares and all the, the things that are vying to make us a better us, I just want to cut through the clutter clear the focus and say, hey, the Lord wants us to walk toward a life devoted to him. The Lord wants us to pursue godliness. And at the ripe old age of 41, that was a little bit funny, at the ripe old age of 41, because most of you are so young, you're like, yeah, dude, you're old. One of the things I've learned is that Decision-making is often far more about the path that we're on than it is about the specific decision. It's far more about where we're going than 
the minute details of all the stuff around us. And so I don't know if you need to lose weight or get stronger. I don't need if you know if you need more community or more alone time. I don't know if you need to be less lazy or have more rest. That's between you and the Lord. But what I know is that the Lord wants the pathway, the passageway, the direction for us to be pursuing Him and pursuing a life committed to Him. So the main takeaway from this sermon, God wants His children to pursue greater commitment to Him. Period. This this passage is written to Christians and it's intended to shape who we are. If you're here today or engaging online and just kind of wrestling with what it might look like to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus, I just want you to listen in this way. What is God inviting me to? Because what God's ultimately inviting us all to is the joy of the life-giving pursuit of godliness in all things. And that pursuit begins with Jesus. So before we dive into the sermon, I want to tackle head-on maybe an internal objection that many of you are feeling. See, we have the the educated and the sophisticated. we got a bunch of degrees hanging on our walls, and, and we have PhDs and following Jesus and all those kind of things. And so when people come up and preach these simple and sublime realities like God desires you to follow him, you think, got that? Check. I just want to cut you off at your knees right here, okay? Who's Paul writing? Paul wrote the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy. Who's he writing to? Who's he exhorting to train yourself for godliness? Not the, This isn't a new believer's notebook, He's saying to Timothy, the man that he trained up and discipled and mentored and left in Ephesus to pastor the churches there, he's saying to him, your longevity and faithfulness is rooted first in your pursuit of godliness. Timothy, your first calling is to train yourself for godliness. And in the flow of the argument, Paul says in chapter 3, I want to come to you to encourage you. I want you to lean on the truth that you know. I want you to train yourself for godliness. Then chapter 4, verse 11, so that you can command and teach godliness. Chapter 4, verse 12, so that you can set an example for the believers. Chapter 4, verse 13, so that you can devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching, so that you will not, chapter 4, verse 14, neglect the gift which you have. Paul is saying to Timothy, the leader of his church, the church that God used Paul to start, your faithfulness is built on the foundation of pursuing godliness. You never outgrow it. This is the invitation. Pursue godliness. So all of us 
No matter how sophisticated, no matter how educated, no matter our experience with the Lord, need to hear this invitation. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Verse 8, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So if you want to take notes, first point is godliness. The goal is godliness. The aim, the pursuit, where we're headed, godliness. The passage begins in verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. What Paul is saying is avoid distracting, competing realities. Our hearts and our minds are prone to be co-opted by other arguments, other passions, other debates, other practices, and other gadgets. First Timothy, avoid distracting competing realities. Stay focused upon the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed to this point. Don't let anything distract you. Now this has new meaning for me because my family now has a third driver. Uh, my oldest son turned 15 and passed his uh, written test for his driver's permit, which means I now have to teach him how to drive. And we were a good 45 seconds into our first trip down the road when I shouted, Son, this isn't Mario Kart. Because in Mario Kart, you have this little controller and you do this as you go around all these curves and dodge things, right? And that's how my son was driving. Like he would see something and we'd go toward that and then he would do this and then he would do this and he would do this. And I was like, no, 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 buddy, no. Driving is about looking as far down the road as you can see and picking a point in the middle of the road and just getting a straight, as straight as possible line toward that point. And so Paul's saying, don't be distracted by these other things, but stay focused on the goal. The goal is godliness. He says, Timothy, train yourself for it. He says, godliness is of value in every way. It's, it will benefit your, enrich your being. It holds the promise of life for today and tomorrow and the life to come. The goal, the focus, the direction, the path is godliness. Okay, tell me about this godliness. What does that mean? Our working definition for godliness is this. Godliness is reverence for God that orients a per, who a person, excuse me, let me start over. Godliness is reverence for God that reorients who a person is and how a person lives. 
Godliness is reverence for God that reorients who a person is and how a person lives. So you'll notice that godliness begins with knowing God. Knowing God in such a way that we worship him, are filled with awe of him, we fill with celebration of who he is, we're filled with faith in him, we're filled with deference to him. Godliness begins with knowing God, but knowing God in such a way that God reorients all of who we are. We become more like him. Godliness then is a summary term for the totality of what it looks like to walk with Jesus in the world. To be a child of God, to be a Christian, to be a disciple. Godliness is reverence for God that, orient, that reorients who a person is and how a person lives. So let's, let's take those in turn. First, godliness is, is reverence for God. It involves pursuing God as he has revealed himself. And pursuing God with a disposition to celebrate him, to be in awe of him, to praise him, and to yield to and defer to his ways and follow Godliness begins with a reverence for God. So reverence for God would make statements like this. I want to know God as he is. I want to dwell in his presence. I want to hear his truth. I want to feel his love. I want to know his forgiveness. I want to trust his leading. I want to depend upon his provision. Godliness begins with knowing God in a way that is personal and tangible and real. Remember that in the scripture, to know is not an intellectual term, but a relational term. To know is a term of relational intimacy. Godliness begins with knowing God. And godliness is possible because God has revealed himself to us in his son, Jesus. That's what Paul says. Go back just a few verses to the end of chapter 3. Verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. What's the mystery of godliness? Christ was manifested in the flesh vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Christ is the, the revealed first step toward godliness. We move toward God through His Son who came to make God known. 
Godliness begins with reverence for God. It doesn't stop there. Godliness then moves to a posture of asking God to reorient all of who we are. Godliness moves toward asking God to reorient all of who we are. We Christians are right to say God doesn't ask us to clean ourselves up before we come to him. God accepts us as we are. That's good news this Sunday morning, right? The Lord welcomes broken, sinful, rebellious people into his presence because of his son, Jesus. But the New Testament doesn't stop there. It also says, but the gospel remakes who we are in the image of his son. We come as we are, but we who come are completely reoriented by God. I think this is what Paul means because look down at verse 12 of chapter 4. He says to Timothy, I want you to to train yourself for godliness. And he says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in what you say, in conduct, what you do, in love, your emotions, in faith, your trust, in purity, in your character. What Paul is saying is let all of who you are, Timothy, be reshaped by God in such a way that your speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity are an example for the believers. Godliness is a complete reorientation of who we are. And so a commitment to godliness would say things like this to the Lord. Lord, please make me more like Jesus. Lord, please purge away my sin. Lord, please lead me into repentance. Lord, please lead me into faith. Lord, please guide me by your spirit. A vision of godliness is a a pursuit of God where God completely reorients who we are to be more honoring and glorifying to him. And so if relationship with God is made possible in Christ, complete reorientation by God is made possible by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who dwells within us to enable us to bear fruit that glorifies God. Paul in another place, Philippians chapter 2, writes, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What he's saying is God is with us to work in us according to his good pleasure. It is by the power of the Spirit that godliness is a pursuable reality for fallen people like us. So, this first point, very simply, I'm asking you to make this commitment. The Lord wants me to pursue godliness. Hard stop. No caveats. The Lord wants Redeemer Church to pursue godliness. Hard stop. No caveats. This is a commitment of faith before it is something we feel excited about. It's an invitation. It's an imperative. This is what the Lord desires. I'm just asking you to embrace that. The Lord is calling me to pursue godliness. It is what he wants from me. Godliness, the pursuit of godliness is the pathway that the Lord is inviting us to walk down. Now, I mentioned earlier, if you were here today, exploring the faith, not sure where you fit in the church and in the kingdom and in the work of the Lord, first of all, we're really glad that you're with us. But here's what the scripture would say. Is that if... if if someone is not a follower of Jesus, then we're not on this path toward godliness. We're on a path toward self, toward rebellion, toward pleasure, toward all kinds of things. But the invitation is this. In Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God has made himself known. He has brought the forgiveness of sin. He has brought the promise of everlasting life to all who will trust and believe in his son and commit to the ways of the Lord. To do so is to say, I am headed toward godliness. I just want to invite you to the path. I want to invite you to the commitment. This could be the day that for the first time you could say, I see my need for Jesus. I will turn follow him. If that's where you are today, I would love to hear about that, talk with you about that, help you take a step of faith toward Jesus. This leads then to the next question. Okay, how do we do this? And that's the second point, and it's the word train. And I'm not talking about trains as in a means of transportation, but we're talking about train as in training. Verse 7, the verb is this, train yourself for godliness. Paul is exhorting Timothy to exert 
effort in the pursuit of godliness. And now we Christians really struggle with do type words in the New Testament, right? Like action words. Because we say things like, well, I'm not able. God's got to do it for me. Yes, you're not able. And the Spirit is with you to help you. But the Scripture is filled with these commands to participate in the work of the Lord. Galatians 5, keep in step with the Spirit. Move with the Holy Spirit who is at work in you to carry out His work. Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, train yourself for godliness. So what if I said this? Church, my goal this year is to get my body fat down to 5%. I would have a long way to go. Okay, that's great, Jamie. What are you going to do about it? Nothing. I'm going to let go and let God. Not a thing. You would say, Jamie, your body fat ain't going to get to 5%, right? My goal is to have a better relationship with my spouse. Good, what are you going to do about it? Not a thing. Whatever I want. Leave her be. You guys would say, come on, Jamie, that's not going to work, right? So there's this mystery in the scripture of we're dependent upon the Lord for his grace and his mercy and his work. We can't completely fix ourselves apart from him. But if we're in Christ, the scripture says we have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is in us to help us Pursue godliness. The Spirit is in us to help us, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, 12 and 13, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So get this, godliness is not automatic. It doesn't just happen. Godliness is not a light switch. We don't just go from ungodly to godly. Work's done. Next, godliness is progressive growth. Godliness is not easy because godliness cuts against our habits of sin, our habits of rebellion, our habits of self selfishness, and our habits of doing whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. The scripture says, Timothy, train yourself for godliness. Exert effort in pursuing the Lord. Exert effort in building and cultivating relationship with the Lord. Exert effort in fighting your sin. Exert effort in engaging with the church. Exert effort in all these actions to pursue godliness. Exert effort. I believe in God's sovereignty and his power and his providence as much as anyone. And underneath that commitment, I can still say, based on the spirit who is at work in you, pursue, exert, train yourself to follow the Lord. Train yourself for godliness. So the second commitment I want you to make this morning is the Lord wants me to train myself for godliness. Okay, what does that look like, Pastor? Here are some 
some suggestions. There are some regular commitments and there are some current commitments. So first, the regular commitments. If I want to train myself for godliness, I have some regular commitments. Number one, regularly meet with God in his word. Regularly meet with God in his word. God has revealed himself in his son and he has recorded who he is and his work and his desires in the scripture. We meet with the Lord in his word. John Stott says, We cannot become familiar with the godly book without becoming godly ourselves. Nothing evokes the worship of God like the word of God. So I'm not concerned with whether you read the whole Bible this year or whether you read the same chapter of the Bible every day this year, or something in between. What I'm concerned with is training ourselves for godliness calls us to regularly meet with God in his word. Second, regularly meet with God in prayer. Now, Prayer is this like mystifying thing for us. We're like, how do we pray? Prayer is just communication. It's talking to God. It's listening to God. We teach four-year-olds to pray around here at Redeemer by teaching them to say, thank you, God, and to say, please, God. And just to talk about it. And just to let it flow. We thank God for what he's done. We celebrate who he is. We receive his forgiveness. We ask him to work. We ask him to protect. We ask him to provide. We ask him to help. And we do this regularly. Now, if you're new to the word, to the scripture, you're new to prayer, we have a a little document out by the front doors that's a five-minute first step toward reading the word and pray. I just encourage you to pick that up, take it with you. It's a simple way to get started. If you're completely new to the Bible, you're completely new to any claims of Christ, we have some Bibles laying around here. Take one with you. It's not stealing if you have permission, so take one with you. Go to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of John. There's a table of contents in the front. Start reading. You could say something like this. Lord, help me understand. Help me know you. Regularly meet with God in his word. Regularly meet with God in prayer. Third, regularly meet with God's people to pursue God and to pursue God's mission. We are not intended to walk in this world alone. But we're intended to be a part of a people who pursue godliness together. The fundamental essence of Christian community is not friendship and shared interest, but a shared pursuit of God and a shared pursuit of God's mission. 
meet with God's people to pursue God and his mission. Fourth, regularly ask God to show me my sin and help me respond in repentance and faith. Fifth, regularly ask God to empower me to help me walk with him. Sixth, regularly look up and look out, meaning this pursuit of godliness is not just about me and God, but it's about me being an image bearer of God in my family and in my church and in my neighborhood and amongst my friends and in the world at large. Look up, look out, And pray, Lord, how would you help me love and serve and care in all these realms? So a calling to train ourselves for godliness will regularly look like these, will have these six regular movements to it. I'm not here to prescribe exactly what that looks like. I'm just saying, let's move. And then second, There are what I'm calling current realities, meaning we're not static people. We are changing people. But everywhere where we are, there are some current things that we need to to work on in our lives. So currently, what sin is dominating my life and how can I take a step to fight against it? Currently, What positive spiritual habit is missing in my life? And how can I take a small step toward it? Currently, where is true community missing in my life? And what small step can I take toward God's people? I would hope for you that your answer to these three questions is different today than it would have been two years ago. And that it would have been four years ago. And that it would have been six years ago. And that it would have been 20 years ago. But currently, what sin is dominant in my life? How can I fight against it? What positive spiritual habit is missing in my life? How can I take a small step toward it? Where is true community missing in my life? What small step can I take toward God's people? Okay, now, as we start to wind up, some of you might be asking this, well, what if I don't feel the desire for godliness? What if I'm just apathetic? Well, thank you for being honest. You can be honest with the Lord. He already knows, but you can be honest with him. I would ask you this. Will you accept that the scripture calls you toward godliness no matter how you feel? Would you accept that the scripture is calling you toward a life of godliness even if you don't feel that way? And then... Will you commit to pursue godliness 
anyway. Will you commit to pursue godliness anyway? There's this weird thing in the church. We say, know the Lord, love the Lord, and then all of our behavior flows out of love for the Lord. Well, that's how it ought to be, but we're sinful people in a fallen world. So what do we do when the love for the Lord is not producing following the Lord? I think the scripture would say, believe that the Lord wants you to follow him and go follow him. And ask him to change your love as you go. I believe deeply that, that the things we habitually do shape our desires. They shape our loves. They shape our feelings. So open the Bible. Pray. Be around God's people. Go and serve others in Jesus' name. Talk about God's power even though you're wrestling with believing in it. And in doing so, I believe that God will, will, will likewise change our desires. If you don't believe me, I have one simple question for you. Have you ever ruined a perfectly good morning by getting on Twitter? Right? Just, you know, it's early in the morning, I don't have anything to do, I'm going to check Twitter. Now, all of a sudden, I'm angry, I'm triggered, and I'm Ah, and my day's ruined. You see, that it's the habit of checking that's having implication in desire, right? It's all throughout our lives. And I would just say, faith says, the Lord's redeemed me. Faith says, the Lord wants me to pursue godliness. And I'm going to pursue it and trust that the Spirit is going to move with me and the Lord's going to meet with me as I pursue him. Okay, that leads to our concluding point. Oh, sorry, one more thing. If all of this is just confusing to you, if you're just sitting there going, dude, I have no idea what to start with. I don't know how to read the Bible. I don't know how to pray. I don't even know if I should. I don't even know if I care. I couldn't find the gospel of Mark if you put a gun to my head. I don't know anybody in this community. I don't, how am I supposed to do community and fellowship and and?" and walking with others, you can email anybody. I'm giving our church staff to you for the next week. Just send an email that says, from Sunday's sermon, help. That's all you gotta say. Just one word, help. And we want to help you. We want to help you know how to get into God's word. We want to help you know how to pray. We want to help you know how to find community. We want to help you know how to love and serve others in Jesus' name. We want to help you understand the gospel. We want to help you take a step toward faith. Just simply email and say, help. We exist to stir others to follow Jesus. We will help you. Okay, last thing. Final point anything else. Pastor, pursue godliness. That feels awfully reductionistic of you. Don't you know we live in a fallen world? Don't you know people are walking in trauma? Don't you know there's a pandemic going on? Don't you know there's upheaval going on? Don't Yes. So do I need any other commitments besides the pursuit of godliness? 
Maybe. Possibly. Probably. But know this. All those commitments are secondary. Helpful, but secondary. So if you've got a new list of New Year's resolutions that you made on on January 1st, ask yourself this question. Will these serve my pursuit of godliness? If so, use them for good. If not, rewrite them. I am very aware that we are complex beings. We are spiritual beings. We're emotional beings. We're physical beings. Physical things affect our spiritual, our spirit and our emotions. Emotional things affect our spirit and our, and our bodies. Spiritual things affect our emotions and our spirits. So if there are things that we need to work on as a part of pursuing godliness, then do it. Some of us, I don't have time to make long laundry lists, but there are things like therapy and counseling and doctor's visits and medication and other commitments in the world that can be helpful servants of our pursuit of godliness. But they are not our primary pursuit. Our primary pursuit is the Lord Relationship with the Lord, glorifying the Lord in all things. And as we march down that path, there'll be a whole host of other commitments that we need to make along the way as a way to glorify Him and be reoriented by Him. So I'm going to conclude like this. You know that friend that's, that's just learned something new and now they're obnoxious about it? Do you, do you know that friend? Like I've just got this new product that's made everything better in my life and I'm going to bludgeon everybody with my story about this product. You know that friend? Come on, guys, you know that friend? Yeah. Or I just learned this new workout routine that's made me feel better and so now I can't stop talking about how awesome my workout routine is. You know that friend? You may be that friend. Maybe y'all are all that friend. That's why you don't know that friend. That's cool. I'm for it. If you got a cool gadget for Christmas and you enjoy it, that's fine. But what if our pursuit of the Lord gave us so much joy that we just couldn't stop talking about it? And what if at the end of 2021, we were able to say, All these things happened but I found joy in pursuing the Lord and his word and his work and his church and his ways and I'm delighted in him. Man, I don't want to be reductionistic because there are real burdens and there are real struggles and there are real problems. But the path forward is train yourself for godliness. For bodily training is of some value. These secondary things, they're they're of some value. 
But godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for this life and for the life to come. The joy of godliness cannot be stripped from us even if death takes us out of this world. That faith is the faith that will drive us home. So God, we pray now that you would work for your people and you would work in your people. We pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.